The Keep Birth Wild podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land, sky and waters on which this project is produced, and we pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. We extend this respect to all First Nations people on whose country we live, birth and raise children. We acknowledge the ongoing leadership, resilience and commitment of First Nations people who continue to fight for their right to safe and culturally appropriate experiences of pregnancy, birth and postpartum, and we commit to continuing to explore our own role in that journey. Lastly, we honour and celebrate the ancient birthing knowledge and practices that have existed on this country for thousands of years. May this wisdom continue to nurture life for many generations to come. Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy and through this series I'll be speaking to women who plan to birth their babies at home. Join me to hear home birth mothers sharing their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. In today's episode I'm chatting to Gemma about the births of her three children. Gemma naturally conceived her first baby, but went on to require IVS assistance conceiving the next two, so she shares a little bit about what that journey was like. Gemma's first birth was a vaginal birth in hospital, however, she didn't experience the urge to push her baby out and ended up requiring a forceps delivery. She shares about how she really longed for the experience of pushing her next baby out and was immediately excited to give birth again and have that opportunity. Four years later, after undergoing IVF, Gemma fell pregnant again with her daughter, her waters broke at 35 weeks and baby was delivered by a C-section at 36 weeks. Gemma's youngest daughter is just five weeks old now and she was originally planning another hospital birth, but as the COVID situation developed and she was facing the reality of birthing without her doula, she started to look at other options. Gemma went on to have a beautiful birth at home and experienced the longed for sensation of pushing her baby out. There's a little bit of everything in this story, and it's a great one to recommend to anyone who might be considering home birthing due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll go ahead and let Gemma share her story. Hi, Gemma. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, would you like to share a little bit about yourself and your children and you know, whereabouts you're living and whether you're working at the moment? Sure, indeed. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, my name's Gemma. I work in live and work in Canberra. I've um, I'm an artist and I'm also an environmental conserver. I work for um, one of the government departments doing that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I'm a mother of three. Uh, beautiful. How old are your children? So my eldest boy is a. Uh, He's seven. He was born in 2013, and my um, my daughter is my eldest daughter is uh, three and a half, and she was born in um, 2017. And then I've just recently had another baby girl um, in July. Mm, beautiful. Well, we might get started with your son then. Um, all the way back in 2013, you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned earlier that you had a bit of a journey with IVF. So was he a planned baby or how did his pregnancy come about? Yeah, he was a planned uh, baby and um, he was a natural conception and it was actually quite easy. So it only took a few months with him. Um, so hence when I later tried to have a baby for our second bub, it was quite a surprise to find out um that I actually had polycystic ovarian syndrome. I never knew um, that I, I had it. And, um, yeah, it just caused a, a big, 
bit of a delay, I guess. It took us a while. We ended up to do, ended up deciding doing IVF second time around just because we knew we wanted to have three babies. And even though the doctors said, oh, you'll probably fall pregnant, it just might take you a very long time. And I was, I think, 33 at that point and um, definitely wanted to have three. So we just thought, you know what, let's just go for it through the IVF. And it was actually very easy for us other than the emotional mm. side of it. <laughs> but the technical side of it was quite fast for the um, for second pregnancy. But my first was quite easy, thankfully. So um, there was no nothing, nothing to be suspected of any issue. And, um, yeah, I think I fell pregnant in a few months of trying um, with my son. Yeah. Which was good. Mm. It's a good introduction to fertility. It was easy. <laughs> so yeah, my nice first time. <laughs> I was duped into thinking it was all easy. <laughs> yeah. So, and yeah, how did you mm. find out you were pregnant that time? Uh, so just the classic period was late and um, I went to get a pregnancy test from the pharmacy and was very surprised to find it was positive. I don't know why I was so surprised, but I was, I did three of them <laughs> and my husband laughed at me because he said, you know, they're 99% accurate. Um, so yeah, <laughs> but wow. yeah, I was elated, very, very happy. So yeah. And how was the um, kind of early part of that pregnancy? Did you have any morning sickness or other symptoms come up? I did have morning sickness, but it was quite manageable uh, with just sort of eating small things throughout the day, lots of salty rice crackers and things like that. Um, I did have to go to India for a wedding during my first, I think it was about 11 weeks pregnant, which we'd already committed to. So that was, I was very sick during that time because of the traveling and the exhaustion of travel. But um, otherwise, yeah, it, it stopped at about 14 weeks and I was really happy and the rest of my pregnancy was very, very good, really. Hmm. Yeah. And being your, first, being your first baby, did you have kind of much of an idea of what model of care you wanted to go for or how did you come to find a provider for that pregnancy? Yeah, I was, uh, I was the first one in my group of friends to fall pregnant, so I really didn't know what to do. Um, uh, interestingly, a friend, my best friend, she knew someone who'd been using a doula for her birth. It was a woman that I didn't know. And um, my best friend, she mentioned the idea of using a doula because she said, oh, my friend has used this doula. And she said it was really good. She said, I have no idea what it is, but, you know, it might be something you want to look into. And I had a bit of a deep fear of hospital systems, like hospitals as places to go to. I, I always find them... I think just because I've only ever been to hospitals prior to pregnancy when someone's been really badly hurt or someone's dying or so for me I was just like whoa I have to go to a hospital a place where injury and stress and sadness looms and um I felt quite uncomfortable with that idea but um I just didn't know any anything else, didn't know any other, and I just did the classic, oh, I'll just go to my closest hospital. Um, and even though we'd done, we did the tour of the hospital and I felt really uncomfortable in that hospital, I um, there was a few things about it that um, you had to have a shared room after your birth with others. Um, the husband wasn't allowed or your partner wasn't allowed to stay 
um, the birthing bath was across a corridor, corridor. So you'd have to, and I just found it all really weird. So I did call around to get a doula and I got a doula for my first um, pregnancy and she helped me to navigate the care systems that I could choose from. And I ended up choosing a different hospital, one that, that had better sort of philosophies for me. And um, I had her provide, she provided the continuity of care, but the hospital that I chose didn't have much of that. Um, yeah, but I felt confident with her help. Hmm. And did you do any kind of birth education for that pregnancy or did the hospital offer classes or something like that? The hospital offered classes, but I decided to just stick with my doula as my birth educator, and that was really good for me. Um, mm. As I said, I just never fully trusted hospital systems, even though I have met some beautiful people that work in them. So, um, yeah, that was it was good just having her constant support. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so maybe heading into the birth now, what were some of what were some early signs of labour with your son beginning? Uh, so with my son, um, my my I actually had my first contraction at about 1 a.m. in the morning and um, uh, he was about five days overdue or past the estimated due date. I don't really like the term overdue, but, um, yeah, he – I had a, a first contraction really early in like in the middle of the night really and um, my husband just I told my husband and he said oh well it's pretty early why don't you just try and get some sleep so I actually just slept through the first eight hours of those contractions and woke up to uh, a postman at the door actually was knocking and my um, it was really quite profound actually my auntie the postman was delivering a, a present from my auntie for for our son and um, I opened that in the middle of my labour and there's this little note saying, we can't wait to meet you. <laughs> and it felt really um, auspicious that that was, that he was coming that day. Yeah, it felt like the world was, knew he was coming. So, yeah, and then um, we laboured at home until about midday and then um, I did go to the hospital at midday. Mm, oh, that's so beautiful to yeah. get that little message. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was really special. So once you arrived at the hospital, how did things pan out from there? Uh, so uh, it was pretty good, really, um, as far as a first birth at a hospital can go. So uh, my labour kept progressing, I think. I did accept a, a vaginal exam, and I'm pretty sure I was maybe about four centimetres when I got there. Um, but I felt, I felt really comfortable in that hospital. It was like a small regional hospital um, outside of Canberra and it, um, they were really supportive of sort of, you know, darkening the room and just giving us space to birth. So I had my husband and my doula arrive. Well, my doula arrived pretty soon after we got there and she was there for all of the labour. So, yeah, I, my main thing with my first labour, my main goal really was obviously to have my son um, safely arrive, but I really, really didn't want to take any pain relief and I didn't want any epidurals or anything like that. I just really wanted to be very in touch with what was happening. I was very scared by the idea of uh, not being in tune with my body and um sort of feeling the baby's progress. So that was really good. And I, I was 
I got through my whole labour without any pain relief. And um, so it was really that first labour for me was um, really learning about contractions and learning to breathe and take just trust your body, I guess. Um, but I I did kind of run out of steam. I was very nauseous, um, so I couldn't take any couldn't take much fluid in and I couldn't eat any food, even any sort of lollies or fruit juice or anything like that. I couldn't I couldn't take into my body. I would just vomit it back out. So I became very dehydrated and very weak by the time midnight came around. So I've been at that point my body had been labouring for twenty four hours. Um, and I'd gotten to ten centimetres but I pretty much just started to stall, everything just stopped um, and I felt quite exhausted and, yeah, just unsure of what was going on. I didn't feel scared, which was good, but um, it was at that point that my my doctor, he came in and said, look, I'm going to give you another hour or so of pushing or trying, you know, seeing how they'll come back in and give you a bit of help. So another hour passed. And um, I remember I was sitting on the, the door, had said, you know, try sitting on the toilet because often that can bring about the urge to push. But I never, I never actually got an urge to push with my son, I think. And later when I talked about it afterwards um, with midwives and, and my doula, they think that I just kind of ran out of steam. So, um, like I said, 24 hours of labouring and no, um, very little water, very no food at all. Um, so I consented to my doctor helping me with the vacuum, um, which didn't work, but uh, we did too. My son ended up being a forcep delivery, um, which was, I, I remember feeling really thankful and grateful for the help at that point because I was truly <laughs> exhausted. Um, so, yeah, I initially... So out he came, yeah, and that that was that was great. So, but that was sort of coach pushing. Um, I didn't have an episiostomy, thank God, because that was not hospital policy. So, I did have a few stitches after that, um, but nothing too bad. And yeah, my son was born, and it was amazing. It was just the most beautiful moment in my husband and my life. To that at that point in our lives, it was just incredible. So we were very very happy to have him. And he was great. He was so he was fine. He was very well. And um, yeah, there's no no problems with him. So mm. it's good. Oh, it's a good first birth experience, really. But now that I've had two other birth experiences, uh, I realise, yeah, I, there's things I definitely would have done differently. Yeah, mm. that's okay. Yeah, and I mean, going on from that, I'm interested how that experience kind of changed your perspective for your, for your next two births and um, whether, and you know, straight away you knew that you wanted something different or not? Yeah, I think I felt quite, um, I remember when I got home from that birth, I felt a bit kind of shell-shocked and um, I sort of, the host, I felt great in the hospital, but when I got home I was a bit like, gosh, what just happened, you know, just come home and there's this baby here and I didn't have much experience of babies at all. Um, but I because I never experienced pushing in that first birth, I was immediately, well, very soon after, just like, well, I can't wait to do it again, sort of thing. Like, I was really, 
really, um, you know, I can't, I could wait, but I was sort of like, oh, yes, I can't. I definitely want to, I always wanted to have more than one child, so I knew I'd want to have two anyway. So I was like, oh, yeah, I can't wait for the next one. Next one, I hope I can get that sensation of pushing because I've never felt that before. And, and I'd also, I think for my husband and I in that first experience, it was very unifying. My, my husband was really hands-on, really helpful. Um, he was just, I got to see a side of him, I guess, that I don't see as often. Um, just, yeah, and I think I wanted that experience for both of us again because we really felt, I felt like he really earned that birth, if that makes sense too. It was like he, he actually did a lot of physical work lifting me because I had back pain and all this sort of stuff. So he was... He was also exhausted. Um, yeah, so I was sort of looking forward to doing it again and having that magic moment with our next little person, whoever that might be. Um, mm. So, yeah, yeah, and then um, much to our surprise, we it took us a very long time to fall pregnant the second time round. Um, yeah, so at, at what point... So, um, did you decide, like, how yeah, how old was your son when you kind of started feeling like maybe you'd be ready to try again? Well, we we started trying. I think it was around the 12th. When he turned one, I think we started to think about it and then we sort of started talking about trying again. And then I think we would started trying around the 16 to 18-month mark, thinking that I was – well, maybe it was a bit later. I think I didn't want to have – I wanted him to be pretty close to two, so must have been around the 18 months mark because it was about it was about a whole year that we were trying and nothing nothing happened like nothing had occurred and the first time it took just a few months so that's what we were sort of going from and then I I went to see my GP at sort of the 10 months 11 months of trying point and she said oh yeah maybe go and see this lady and get this specialist to go get some checks done. So I did that and um, found out that I had uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which doesn't always affect your fertility, but for me I had a lot of cysts on my ovaries and my specialist's opinion was that um, because there were so many little follicles being stimulated and very cystic looking, not one of them was releasing an egg they were all sort of confused if that makes sense and mm -hmm. not sure which one was going to be the one to release an egg so she said you've probably got a chance of falling pregnant maybe four times a year as opposed to 12 times a year so yeah so we did some tracking um, and I think that whole experience was quite stressful for us we were we were both quite shocked I guess and I think there was a big fear that came up in that that we would never sort of, I guess you just have a vision of certain things in life, of things being the way that you sort of dream and it sort of it was a bit scary for us because we thought, oh, we're going to have an only child and neither of our siblings have children and they won't be having children. So we're like, wow, five grandparents, one child, one grandchild, you know. Um, yeah, so there was a lot of sadness and fear, I think, um, looking back on it, now I, I, do, I don't see, yeah, I guess it's easy in retrospect to wish that you'd been less fearful, but um, we, we did end up going through, we decided we would go through a full IVF cycle and um, 
we found some great care providers um, just because we wanted to up our chances of it working because at that point, by the time we went to the IVF, I was 33 and you have a really good chance of it working um, because the younger that you are, younger you are. So, yeah, so we did, we went through that and actually I was really lucky in that my first full cycle, I fell pregnant with my, with my daughter, my eldest daughter. Mm. But much later than anticipated. Yeah, my we think uh, so. My daughter was born when my son was th three years and ten months old. So yeah, yeah, sort of a couple of years later, um, maybe three, almost three years later than trying, I guess. So, mm. Yeah, and do you feel it was a decision yeah. to 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 do IVF when you did? Now looking back. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad we did, but I think um, I think that was the, the only decision. It was the best decision for us, with me being who I was then and my husband being who he was then. But now I think I've learned so much more about fertility and pregnancy. I may I may have believed in myself a bit more to keep trying, but you just you just never know. You just do what's what seems best to you in that moment and. We found some great care providers for the IVF, and we felt really supported, and just and it did happen very easily. So it felt like that was just the way it was meant to be for us. Yeah, and we were so glad. I remember when um when I did that cycle, and the the nurses said, "Oh, well, we'll give you a call and we'll let you know." Um, I think they did. They did a blood test for us to find out whether we were pregnant. And um, I didn't want to know the results because <laughs> I was so. I just thought I don't. I don't think I can handle. You just t tell my husband. Don't tell me. I just couldn't handle the phone call, like not knowing when they would call in the day. And I was just like, I'm just going to be really anxious. So I could just call Tim, and he'll call me. And um, he called me when I was at work to let me know, and I quickly ran to the bathroom sort of saying, what is it, you know, what happened? And he said, you're pregnant. And I cried and cried for about half an hour in that toilet. Just And actually the, funny, the, the beautiful and sad thing about it was it was tears of happiness, but it was actually a lot of sadness too, like just so much, yeah, sadness came up too because it had been so hard and mm. it was just like, a lot of happiness, but also just, yeah, just like, oh, my God, it's over, <laughs> you know, sort of like this this journey of, yeah, of not knowing whether we'd ever have another baby is now over, thank God. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, we were really happy, really, really happy. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah how, was, how was your pregnancy with her then? Was it similar to your first? Unfortunately, I was a lot more uh, nauseous, so my my morning sickness was really bad. And I have heard other people say second time around it can be worse due to being more tired. Or some people say that if it's a girl, you can be more more nauseous. I'm not sure about that, but um, yeah, I was very sick, but I I sort of just managed to get through. I ended up going to the doctors and taking some Naxalon. Um, first one, I was very, first pregnancy, I was very cautious sort of just to 
minimize any medicines or anything, but the second time I was just suffering so much I did end up taking some medication for it, um, and it went a lot longer as well. It went to 16 weeks, or, and, um, yeah, but that's okay. At least it went away. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> but um, I did get a lot of sciatica in my second pregnancy. In my second pregnancy, I was definitely not as fit and able. I think just the journey of infertility had I neglected my body a bit and um, I wasn't as strong and my back was very sore. Um, my pelvic floor, I don't think, had had been as strengthened as well. So, yeah, so that wasn't so good. And uh, what model of care did you go for this time? Or Yeah, so we did the same as we did the first time because we were quite happy with that hospital that we'd found through the recommendation of our doula. And um, I hired the same, well, I actually couldn't hire her this time because she trained to be a midwife, but I engaged with my doula who had become a midwife and she supported me as a friend because uh, she couldn't come into the hospital with her a midwife registration. Um, so she sort of was just a friend and she supported me as a friend through that pregnancy. Um, but unfortunately, that this, yeah, my second pregnancy and birth kind of was this, real journey of um, surprises, I think, uh, for me. So my, my quarters actually broke at 35 weeks. So I had my last day at work and then my waters broke two days later. <laughs> and um, my daughter, yeah, it was a big surprise. So I'd got, I had an appointment with my sort of obstetrician on the Monday morning anyway. And so my waters had broken on the Sunday night. So I just sort of slept through the night and then um, my husband was like, well, you're going to see him in the morning anyway, which was very good advice. So I went in and um, told him that my waters were just sort of slowly leaking. And um, he said, oh, okay, well, right, baby's a bit early, but um, go up to the hospital, we'll get some testing done of the fluid and just make sure it is the amniotic fluid and um, we'll check that it's clear and, you know, um, that your baby is doing okay. So I went up there and did all the checks. But um, because they confirmed it was my waters broken, they wanted me to stay for the day. And then I ended up staying for the night as well, just on a bit of watch and monitoring for baby's heart rate and things. So that was the Monday night. And then when the Tuesday um, Tuesday morning came around, they said, okay, well, let's, we're going to take you down for an ultrasound um, at lunchtime, but the plan going forward was that they would induce me when I got to 36 weeks. So that was sort of like five, four or five days away. And that I could go home and I would just come in every day and they would just um, check, do some baby monitoring every morning just to check everything was okay. And I'd take some antibiotics to reduce my chance of infection. So that all sounded pretty hunky-dory to me um, in terms of, you know, given the situation, and um, I'd just get induced and I'd have a vaginal birth sort of at, when the baby got to 36 weeks because it's more ideal to keep them in a bit longer. And I had no signs of labour at all, so it's literally just a leak. So I went for the ultrasound um, in the middle of the day and it turned out my daughter was actually breech, so that meant um, 
that the plans completely changed and um, much to my horror, I was told I would have to have a C-section and because she was breached, I also would have to be transferred to a larger hospital um, because the hospital that I had enrolled in for my first and second birth was a small regional hospital and wouldn't take babies uh, 36 less than 36 weeks. So it was a pretty bad moment <laughs> knowing that I'd have to leave my known care providers and have a C-section. Um, and then they also told me I wouldn't be allowed to leave the hospital, which um, until after the birth. So then, yeah, then I was, it was quite hard. That was a really hard day. Um, I missed my son. I missed my being at home. Um, and then I also, yeah, had to go step into this really huge unknown world, which was another hospital and um, having a C-section, which, um, yeah, which I'd never have, I don't think any woman really wants to have, especially if they've birthed naturally already and they know they know what it's like and they know what they're getting themselves into. And for me personally, I felt really comfortable birthing naturally, so um, mm. I was very sad. Yeah, and like I said before, that with my first experience of birth with my husband, we've had that, we were a real little team and I guess with the C-section I also knew we wouldn't get to work through a birth together. It would be, yeah, um, other people would be almost kind of doing it for us in a sense. Mm. So, yeah. So then and did you, spent... sorry, did you go into the C-section with, like, did you come up with a bit of a plan of some things that you wanted or how you wanted it to play out and was your midwife um, still able to support you as a friend in that or was it she then? Uh, kind of... Unfortunately she wasn't because what happened was I was transferred to the hospital that she worked at. So because um, she then she was sort of in this tricky situation because she she could uh, she could she wasn't actually she was only in her first year of midwifery I think so she didn't actually attend births in C-section theatres um, so she couldn't actually be the one to be in the C-section theatre or the, the surgery sorry with me. Um, so she could come and visit me and say hello when she was on shift, but she couldn't really interfere because it wasn't her place. And uh, without know, knowing, I, I, I knew a few things about that hospital and they're not the best public hospital for births in Canberra. And that experience that I had there, um, the midwives were all so knowledgeable that I really could see that they weren't very empowered with their it was very obstetric-led, that care in that hospital, whereas the hospital that I was enrolled in was very midwife-led. So, yeah, I did my best. I, I definitely to I did my best to sort of have the best C-section I could within my own head, but I, I didn't really have the discussion about the screen being lowered or I did say I wanted to breastfeed. And I did say I wanted to have some skin skin to skin immediately, but because my daughter was premature, she had to go straight into a humidity crib. Um, really, she was on my chest for maybe maybe five ten minutes um, while they were stitching me, 
and then um, I think actually it was only 10 minutes and then she was gone from the room after my birth. So um, that birth was, the staff were incredible. They did the best thing, best they could and I wouldn't fault a single one of them. They did an amazing job and I did a lot of work just in within my own head to stay calm and just um, just stay calm for my baby. I really was quite scared for her. And um, I did lots of yogic breathing and meditation and all these sorts of things. But um, looking back on that birth, I was quite traumatised by my child being removed from me straight away. found that very hard. And um, for many years I thought it was just that I was upset about having a C-section, but actually it was just the experience of having a premature baby was very hard. You feel quite scared and um, you don't get to be with your baby as much as you would in a normal circumstance. And Mm. that's just very strange and very distressing, really, for mum and bub and dad. So, um, yeah, my husband, diligent, yeah, my husband was a great advocate for us though, so he went up, he went with the baby to the premature ward with Adelina, my daughter is, and um, he stayed with her and stayed near her side and she, they kept trying to bottle feed her apparently and Tim was just like, <laughs> like a guard dog, just like get away from her because <laughs> he said if my wife doesn't get to breastfeed this baby, she will be heartbroken, you can't take that away from her as well. She's lost sort of all the other bits of the birth that um, she was hoping to experience other than the glorious sound of hearing your child cry when they come out. That was amazing. Um, that always is, I think. But, um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I was. I got to breastfeed her when I got up there, so that was great, and I was really thrilled because she did feed, which meant she had um, her sucking reflex had developed and um, her lungs were fine because she came out roaring and screaming when she came out of the um, C-section delivery, so that was great. But it was quite um, having having had a surgical, a surgical birth and not being able to move very well and then had not only on top of having limited movement, not having your baby in the room with you, um, yeah, that, and being alone, my husband couldn't stay at that hospital. Um, yeah, so that was quite hard, but we actually did a bit of a, um, we kind of worked the system against itself and got ourselves transferred back to the regional hospital because um, the midwives there had told us that that's something that we could do after the baby was born. So we got our daughter, I was discharged from um, the Canberra hospital at four days post-birth, but my daughter was, their policy was that she had to stay another week and a half but we got her transferred back to the other hospital and they helped us with breastfeeding Um, and they did a tremendously wonderful job. So within 12 hours uh, I had this five-day-old baby breastfeeding properly who hadn't, and my milk hadn't come in, but my milk came in at this other hospital, my my preferred hospital, and we were home the next day. So that was was a bit of good luck and, um, yeah, that was that was quite that was a really difficult um, journey, and I think we had repercussions from that for a good six months after. Really, both my husband and I took some time to um, unpack that experience and, and feel 
sort of sort it out, I guess, and just make peace with it all. Mm, yeah, yeah, but we got there. So, yeah. and that's it, yeah, we're better we're better for it. But it was definitely not something we ever would have wished to happen. All those things. Yeah, and hard to an amazing little girl. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's all. Like that's so big to navigate just as two adults but then you've got a newborn baby and a toddler that you're also looking after it's just yeah absolutely but Mm. it did teach me that I think um I think it made me realize that birth and pregnancy has a lot to teach you about yourself and about how you react to things and yeah I think it's a real place of of deep learning um for both parents um so, yeah, we did a lot of healing between us after that birth. Probably once my daughter got to about one, <laughs> um, we came up for air and sort of figured out, started talking about what had happened and really sorted some things out. And then um, and then after a couple of years, we started to talk about the third baby, whether we would have one or not. And so, yeah, um, yeah we tr- started trying again. Uh, probably when my daughter was two and again nothing really happened so um, we did a we actually had some embryos left at our frozen at our um, clinic and I still like to say I don't know whether it was natural or frozen embryo because we were trying but one of them worked and we fell pregnant again Um, but it was after the frozen embryo transfer but who knows I like to kind of throw a little (laughs) <laughs> bit of um I don't know a little spanner in there and say well it could have been natural because it could have been natural yeah um, I've heard of that happening before yeah. actually um, yeah who knows it's kind of nice to yeah it, it definitely can happen you know? mm. and was that on the first cycle with the IVF again that time yeah it was it was and the it was great the second time I didn't have to take any medications or anything which was great so it was um, if it was indeed the frozen embryo transfer that worked, um, it was. I felt really happy knowing that my body wasn't kind of um, sort of there wasn't any additional hormonal load in my body because um, they do say uh, some of the things I read after my second birth was that um, with IVF your placenta can sort of tire out earlier and you can have a higher chance of premature birth so I mean there's all these different factors that are in it but that was just something that was in my mind so I was very glad uh, that I hadn't had any synthetic hormones with my um my last daughter yeah yeah and yeah yeah, I guess at what point I'm curious to know you came to the decision to have a home birth this time around how yeah how did you reach that decision and what sort of things were um playing into it oh it was the best decision of my whole entire life, absolutely. But I again went into my um, went into this third pregnancy with the same care providers that the first daughter had put me onto because they had been so great to me in my other two pregnancies. Um, and um, so I just thought, you know, yeah, I'll just do the regional hospital again with the doula. You know, that's my model, that's what works, and that's what I did. And then um, I found a new doula this time because my other doula has left Canberra, 
and because I was doing a VBAC as well, I thought I'll look for a doula that's got a lot of experience with, um, uh, you know, vaginal birth after cesarean deliveries, which is what my category now was. And I, interestingly, even though I had the same care providers for the first two births, I just noticed a, noticed a few differences in their language and, you know, it was more like the language was like, well, we'll give you a go, you know. You can try to have a vaginal birth and we'll let you try. Like that sort of language, which to me, you know, while I was at work still and just busy, it would just sort of percolate in the background on fear. Something wasn't quite right about it. But, um, yeah, because nobody lets you have a vaginal birth. You have a vaginal birth. You know what I mean? Like, mm. so, yeah, no one gives you a go at it. <laughs> no one can tell my body, oh, go and have a go. You know, my body is the first thing body it's the boss you know that's just my that's how I view women's birth yeah and your and, body um, doesn't think it's your body doesn't think it's trying to it's having a go at birthing a baby no. birthing a baby <laughs> it's already exactly exactly right and they I just it was it's quite a fascinating experience because I'm exactly the same person who'd had two pregnancies with their under their care before had one vaginal birth, um, but they treated me quite differently in these subtle ways. So I felt a little unsure and then I hadn't got the doula, the VBAC doula in place knowing that, yeah, okay, so they're treating me a bit differently this time, but I've got my doula. I know a few of the midwives there anyway, and I know they're lovely women and I know they'll support me, but I'd noticed some staffing had changed. Um, as well and then I discovered that there I started to get further through the pregnancy I started to feel a little more unsure about this hospital so I checked their um, some of their stats online and it turned out their c-section rate had gone from 8% when I delivered my son there to about 35% which is the national average but for that hospital I was I was shocked because I just thought what has happened in seven years you know Oh, that's such a huge leap in such a short amount of time. Isn't um, it a huge leap? Yeah. But sadly, that is the national average apparently is about 30% for every hospital. But for this particular hospital, it was just so sad to see what a ch I was quite shocked and I felt worried, you know, what, what has actually changed there. So that was the first thing. And then when the coronavirus hit this year and started to affect um, the birthing space in hospitals, I was then told that I would only be allowed to have one support person at the hospital. And being a VBAC um, and, and just, like I said, with that language and just uh, been t I was told that I wasn't allowed to go over by more than a week past my due date. And, again, it's just like, what are you talking about? Like my baby's just going to come out when the baby wants to come out. Like I really don't understand from in my personal case what the risk would be you know there really isn't any risk for my baby to go overdue other than if the baby has some issues you know I don't have any high blood pressure or gestational diabetes you know like I, this anyway so um that really rang the alarm bell when I wasn't allowed a support person so I started to investigate 
well, I wasn't allowed the additional support person. So I started to ask with the hospital uh, if they could allow me uh, to have my doula and the doctor uh, said he would advocate for me to have her, which was great. Um, and he wrote me a letter uh, to say that I could, but it wasn't sort of to say that, yes, Gemma can have this doula. It was sort of to say, if you, I support her having the doula. It wasn't very, you know, and it just wasn't convincing. And um, in the, this was must have been about 35 weeks pregnant. And at 34 weeks pregnant, my doula had said, how about, have you ever thought about doing a home birth? And I said, no, never. <laughs> but I do have two friends that have done it. And in the circumstance that I was in, I was like, do you know anyone? She said, yeah, I do actually. She said, I think you'd be a great candidate for a home birth. And I know this amazing um, private midwife. Why don't you meet her? So I, I'd met her. At, I called her pretty much straight away. And I'd met her the week before I got this funny letter from the doctor. And um, I really liked her and my husband liked her too. And we so we were definitely sort of debating and sort of deliberating on whether we'd go with it. But we thought what we'll do is we'll investigate whether we can get this doula support person confirmed as being able to be in the room. Um, and if we can get that, we'll stick with them. And if we can't, we'll go home birth. And um, I did get the letter, but on that very same day, my doctor said to me, well, while you're here, we'll just get you to fill out the C-section form <laughs> for oh. in case you go over 40 weeks. And so oh. now, he'd always said to me that he would give me seven days over, and then he started saying, now, I don't do C-section deliveries, so it will be whenever the surgeon is in, scheduled to be in so hopefully it's seven days but it might be four days after five days after six days after and I was just like I was dumbfounded like I my words just froze I just was sitting there staring at him and I could feel like this kind of fear rising in my body and he gave me the form he said why don't you just take it up to the hospital because it's regional so it's, you know, it's a little more it is more personal that way it's like you take this up to the hospital and put it in at the admin when you take the letter up to the midwife about the doula and I was like sure I'll do that and I just went to the car with the c-section form put it in my glove box and was like I am never giving that form to the hospital I am calling the home birth midwife right now and we are doing this home birth this is it I've just had enough of this and there's nothing wrong with me there's nothing wrong with my body I know I can birth my baby as long as she's head down she's coming out the old-fashioned way. So, um, how many weeks were you when you um, at this time? So that was at thirty-five weeks. I decided to go to the home birth model. Wow! And um, yeah. just yeah. timing can't exactly work it out, but I imagine we would have already been under the COVID restrictions at that point. Had you already been yeah. kind of in isolation at home for quite a long time? Yes, I had. I had. And um, I'd been into the hospital a couple of times during the COVID restrictions that I'd had, you know, like the fever testing at the door and um, walked past the COVID testing clinic while I was at the hospital. And those sort of things make you feel uncomfortable as a pregnant mum as well. Um, you just think, oh, you know, what if my mm. husband has a fever on the day that we come in, you know? And what if I'm walking past someone that's getting tested for coronavirus? 
on yeah. the day that after my baby's been born, you know. And at that point, um, obviously masks weren't mandatory to wear all the time at that point, but would you have been looking at wearing a mask um, while you were in labour or while you were in the hospital? That, um, I'm potentially yes, because the regional hospital is in New South Wales, so they are under the New South Wales banner. Canberra, we've had much less, a much lower infection rate, so um, if I was here in Canberra, in a Canberra hospital, I probably wouldn't have had to wear a mask. Yeah, so, and just one more COVID-related question. Um, with your home birth midwife, was there any kind of precautions put in place or any limit on the amount of people that you could have at the birth? Or, yeah, I mean, was she doing anything different to usual or was it just like a normal kind of home birth situation? She was just doing the normal home birth situation because, but only because our infection rate is low here in the ACT. So we had it been higher um, or had it have crept up around the time that I was giving birth, we may have had to have some limitations to how many people could have been here on the day. Because I know Victoria is experiencing those limitations, even within the home birth space. But then having said that, my midwife that I hired was not, uh, she's a registered midwife and she's been practicing as a midwife for sort of 25 years. Um, a lot of that in the hospital system, but she's not an employee of a hospital anymore. Like her midwife practice is a private practice. So I'm not sure how that works. Um, yeah, whether she would have to do all of the things that the hospital would do the same or, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, 100%. But luckily, luckily for me, yeah, when the birth, the day of the birth came around, um, the, we didn't have, we really just stepped out of that COVID space once I chose the home birth. Um, no masks, uh, no restrictions. Yeah, it's very mm. normal. But um, there was a slight, like, because, you know, your midwife has gone around to see other people, there was a small concern that um, she might be carrying some infection. But like I said, our community is had a really low infection rate here in the ACT. So we knew that was a very low chance. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And yeah, being 35 weeks when you made that decision, how, what was the preparation for the home birth like? Or was it a bit of a scramble to kind of get the things that you yeah. wanted to be ready? Yeah. Yeah, it was. I remember when I, when I called the midwife and said, yep, Definitely doing a home birth, uh, not going back to the hospital ever again if I can help it. Um, I felt this such huge relief. like, And then that was the moment when I realised, oh, my gosh, all of the anxiety I had about the birth was actually just to do with the hospital, just making sure that I could do my VBAC. So that was great. But, um, but then I had like sort of a week of bliss and then there was the, oh, wait, the baby's going to come out here in our house. So, yes. I had to get, um, my doula helped me get some of the things. So she helped me get a birth pool and um, called on some friends for some old towels. And yeah, so spent, did feel like I was scrambling, um, particularly as my second, my first daughter was born at 36 weeks. I felt like my baby could come any day. So I was really, until I was ready by 37 weeks, I think I really did scramble and just get 
um, all the necessities here. And, um, yeah, I did get there and then um, spent, once I got to sort of 37 weeks, I calmed down a bit and then I spent some time doing um, some affirmations and putting up pictures, drawing some pictures with my my other two kids. They drew some rainbows and wrote some, my son who's seven wrote some beautiful birth affirmations for me, put them up on the wall and, yeah, so we did a lot of um, more. Once we got all the necessities, we spent a lot of time just relaxing and doing some of the niceties, yeah, and getting the space ready. And it was mm. lovely, actually. It was really lovely being at home um, for weeks. What well, ended up being weeks because my this birth, this last birth was um, my daughter was 11 days late, so I actually actually ended up having an extra almost two weeks just sort of at home a lot because of the more isolated times right now and just looking at walls covered in positive birth affirmations and, yeah, just feeling really safe in my space and really lucky and loved and supported. So, yeah. Mm, it's so beautiful. And were you, planning to have, were you planning to have your other children at the birth? We, we took the approach of just sort of seeing how it was on the day, and, but we had, um, we had our, my in-laws, my husband's parents, on call to have them for, some, for a sleepover if um, that's what we wanted to do. And when the day did finally come round, because I was 11 days late, um, we just we gave them a call that morning and said, yeah, you know what, I think, yeah, Jem just needs to go into a bit of a quiet space. So um, we had, I laboured really, I did go into spontaneous labour, thank God. I was a bit, we were starting to feel a bit worried. Um, well, not too worried, but just sort of, you know, wondering when this baby was going to come. Um, and then um, the day that I started to get the first contractions, um, we just decided, yeah, I probably just need to have a quiet day without the kids around. So, and that's exactly what we had, a beautiful, quiet day. So, yeah, I could probably launch into the third birth if you'd like. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. Go for it. Yeah, may as well. So, um, so yeah, I we. It's funny when you have kids around. They people say, like, if you have kids already, they say your labour kind of fits around the kids, and that was exactly what happened to me. So. I woke up in the morning, made the kids breakfast. They had school or preschool and school, and my husband took them both to preschool and school. And I said to him, around nine o'clock, I started to get a bit of a bit of a periody pain, and I thought, oh, this might be it. Might be today, might be the day. And when he came home, I said, yeah, I think I'm getting some sort of contractions. So this was once they'd gone to school, I started to get <laughs> a little bit of something happening, and um, but. And my husband said, yeah, probably is, but we, we'll just see how it goes. And the whole day it was sort of like this might happen, but it might not happen today because my son's labour was so long. So um, we called the doula and said, yeah, we're getting some mild contractions. Well, I'm getting mild contractions. She came over at 11.30. And by that point we'd kind of gone for a dog walk and had a nice brekkie and um, just enjoyed just being me and the husband, which doesn't happen very often. And, um, yeah, and the doula came around and said, yeah, looks like you're in labour. I think you are. But, you know, it's just all the beginnings. So we did some – she did some rebozo 
techniques on me and showed Tim some things to do to me through the day just to help the baby um, be in the optimal birthing position and just to alleviate any back pain. So, um, and then she left again because we were really only in the very early stages and um, we had lunch, I watched a movie. It was just like really just breathed through, spent most of the day lounging on the yoga ball, just sort of breathing through the contractions and just sort of um, humming through them if they got a bit more painful. And then we called the midwife and she came over at 5.30 just to check on me actually. She she thought, like I did, that the labour would go until into the night, maybe early hours the next morning. And then my mother-in-law came at 6 while the midwife was here. And the, at this point the contractions were sort of ramping up a bit but still sort of 20 minutes half hour apart and um, my mother-in-law picked up my kids and took them for the for the sleepover and the midwife said okay well I'll be back you know call me I'll just be around the corner call me when things get get really get started she said I'm going to leave and let you and Tim just sort of get into the zone your kids have just left you know we're kind of probably going to be here most of the night doing this so I'll go get some dinner and um, I'll see you soon sort of thing and so we said bye and literally the door closed and my contractions went to sort of like 90 seconds apart almost straight away. Like it just ramped up exponentially as soon as my kids left and as soon as the house was just me and my husband, it just, it was all, it was all happening. And then um, we had a birth pool downstairs because we've got a two-story house and I was upstairs um, just very strong contractions but just breathing through and, um, I was actually singing through some of them to distract myself from the pain and they were they were starting to really ramp up and I was starting to freak out that the birth pool wasn't filled and I was sort of thinking, oh, more as a pain relief thing, I just thought I need that hot water. If this is going to be going for another four hours, I'm going to need that pain relief at some point soon. And um, we called, the jeweler had called while I was in the middle of a contraction and she heard me and she said, I'm coming over. So over she came, and then when she got here at about seven, I think it was, I think at this point Tim started to think I should call the midwife, and so he did call the midwife, and she got back here at 7.30, and then all of a sudden I just had this, I finally got to feel that pushing sensation, and um, yeah, I was just upstairs, I, I was in my bedroom, so I didn't even make it down to the birth pool, and I just felt this incredible force of pushing and it had nothing to do with my brain. It was just completely my body just doing it and which is exactly what I wanted to allow to happen and create a space for. And, um, yeah, the whole time I was in that more intense period of labour, I was just kept saying to myself, my body knows, my body knows, and then this glorious pushing occurred and, I could literally feel myself opening, which was incredible. And um, the midwife arrived, and she, I didn't see her face because I was head down, but um, my husband said she was frantically pulling out her, you know, her tools from her midwife kit and her gloves. And, and all of a sudden, I think 25 minutes later after she arrived, the baby was born. So it was just amazing. And it was just, yeah, it was just so easy. It just seemed... It was obviously intense, but it just seemed so meant to be. Like it was just 
totally unadulterated. Nobody messed with me. My body just did it and out she came. And it was just bliss. It was beautiful. So yeah, it was a really, really good birth. And I was all credit to having a safe, supportive environment to birth in. And um, yeah, and much to my midwife's surprise, my daughter was also the biggest baby I've had, 4.3 kilos. And um, yeah, she just came out like a little rocket. So it was great. <laughs> so yeah, this was amazing. It was. <laughs> did you reach down and grab her, or did your partner catch her, or um, sort of how did so, what happened immediately? I after? actually, I wanted to reach down and grab her, but um, I didn't get to sort of because I was in this sort of strange position where my I was sort of on sort of not quite all fours, but at the end of my bed with my two arms and my head sort of resting on the the end of the bed and my legs on the floor. So I sort of, I just didn't get it together enough to get my hands down to help her come through. So my midwife was there and she she sort of guided her out and then she gently placed her on the floor and I went down and picked her up and there she was. And, um, yeah, it was just, so I sort of scooped her up off the floor. Um, obviously she was on, they had, had like um, absorbent pads and towels and things down. So I picked her up and... Um, she had an incredibly short uh, umbilical cord, so I couldn't actually get it to my chest, which was kind of bizarre. Um, I could only get it to my tummy, and so we did end up cutting the cord a bit early. Like she still got the um, transfusion or everything. The cord went white, and then we we cut it, and she came up to my chest, and there I was, just like totally star gazing at this beautiful little girl. So yeah, it was um. That was really good. And then um, the, the beauty of being at home was just that straight away I just looked up and I was surrounded by these two two women that I absolutely respected and adored, sort of gazing at me going, wow, you did it, and my husband. And then they, they scooped me up and my baby up and said, come on, into bed, and they got me into my bed, so which was literally a metre away from where I had birthed my baby. And, you know, and I curled back up into bed and the, I delivered the placenta. I think I, I think I delivered the placenta out on when I was still at the end of the bed, yeah, and then we got up on the bed and had a look at the placenta and um, my, my daughter, even though she was 11 days late, which she was absolutely fine, so we, we checked that and uh, she, there was no calcification or anything like that. So it just goes to show having a baby at 41 and 5, 41 weeks and five days is not some crazy high risk like they like to scare everyone into thinking, you know. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and it sounds like with, with your births you've had a 35-weeker and then and then one that went quite far post-dates, but it just shows that there's a really, yeah, there's a wide range of what's normal and healthy and all of your babies were, you know, healthy and yeah. ready to yeah, be born. Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, my daughter, uh, my son, my son was actually 40, 40 weeks, so he was sort of the classic oh. 40 weeks, but he was 3.8 kilos. But, yes, my, my waters broke at 35 weeks for my, my eldest daughter, and she was delivered at 36 weeks, but she was 3.1 kilos, and she was huge. She was fine. She was absolutely fine. And yeah. then this, my my last daughter is um, 41 weeks and five days, yeah, and 4.3 kilos, so bigger than her siblings but 
um, I have to say a big baby is a blessing, you know, because she's so, um, she's really robust. She's sleeping really well straight away. She's calmer, so much calmer than my other two babies were at this stage, you know. So, and I have, I've literally had the best um, pelvic floor sort of recovery um, from this baby as well. So, you know, I, I actually probably felt most, most decimated after my C-section. So, yeah, mm. you just don't know. It's all so varied. And, um, yeah, I think, I think if you have the opportunity to birth your baby in a way that you feel safe and supported, um, you'll have the best recovery you can anyway from that. And um, certainly as well, we both my husband and I feel like even though he really didn't have to do as much for this birth because it was quite easy, um, he was so, he was just so part of, really deeply emotionally part of our most recent birth. And um, he was just totally elated just totally elated and he's more patient with um, with all of the newborn wake-ups as well because I think he's just so much more connected to the whole experience um, and he would be a massive advocate. He is a massive advocate for home birth as well um, now, whereas he was definitely the one that was on the fence at the beginning. So, mm. yeah. yeah. I love thinking about men who are advocates for home birth or, I mean, you know, women birthing however they yeah. want. Yeah, it's just, yeah, beautiful when you see men have that experience and um, come away from it with a different mindset. Absolutely. We might have to wrap things up because I think we're running out of time, but I'd love to know your youngest daughter is five weeks old now. Would you like to yeah. Yeah. the experience of having a newborn during um, this COVID pandemic? <laughs> if, yeah, what that's been like for you, I imagine yeah. that's been it is worrying, absolutely. Um, it's yeah. I think there's a there's a deep fear there that you know people in my family will get infected, particularly the people under my roof, and my daughter would be exposed. Um, but I think for us here in Canberra, we're currently in a low infection rate, so we're just sort of. I'll just have to. If anything changes, I will be jumping to and reducing the amount that the people under my roof will be leaving this house. Um, but in my situation, I'm just sort of at this point, I'm staying home as much as possible. There isn't a lot of infections. Um, I have a newborn, so it's pretty hard to leave my house anyway um, to do anything more than the daily, you know, making lunches and just having a nice cup of tea in the sun like that's the achievement of the day <laughs> so yeah. um but i really do feel for the women particularly in victoria at the moment um because even just the other night i got sick with a vomiting bug just a 24-hour thing and um i think my daughter at that point was only three weeks old and just the horror of thinking oh my gosh the only person under this roof right now who can feed this little child is me. And if I'm unwell, you know, how will she be nourished? And it's quite confronting and scary, as it is without the coronavirus around, thinking, you know, that knowing that your newborn relies on you 
solely. This is if you're breastfeeding. I mean, if you're bottle feeding, you at least have that mix, which is great to share that responsibility. But um, at this point, she's just solely breastfed. And, um, yeah, I really feel for anyone who's afraid of being sick and not being able to look after their baby. Such a huge time and even just kind of on an emotional level, raising children and birthing babies when the world feels upside down and um, like things are so out of our hands. Yeah, it takes a lot of strength. I agree, but I had this um, kind of enlightening moment because for this pregnancy we had bushfires here in Canberra while I was pregnant and then the corona outbreak and I have to say, and for me, this is a third baby, so I had this horrible guilt as well, just sort of, you know, um, overburdening this poor, sick planet even more than just the two that I have. Um, but then I, I, which, you know, and I do my very best to live with the smallest footprint that I can and my family can. But I also had a moment of thinking, well, you know, whoever is being created and is going to be born in the year 2020, that's going to be one tough little person and we need some pretty tough, strong people around to keep our race in check. And I'm just hoping that that's the person that I've brought into this crazy world because I just Mm. can't imagine why they wouldn't. You just have to be strong. (laughs) Born in a time like this is... I've read something. I read something beautiful yesterday. Um, a book that I'm reading, but one passage from it was talking about, it was basically saying um, if we look at, you know, what we were like as teenagers and then we look at the climate strike generation of students in school now, I mean, just imagine the things that Mm. those children are going to go on to do in the world and that the next few generations are not going to be like us. And, um, yeah, and so, you know, and then when you look at it that way, it feels like a privilege to be raising children now and that yeah like a real honor a beautiful way of looking at it that is I, yeah i actually had never heard it in that term but it's actually a privilege to be part of this next generation absolutely you're spot on mm-hmm. yeah well yeah, that's a good note to leave things on i think but we should probably wrap things up i could talk about this all day <laughs> yeah thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story it was just absolutely beautiful and um, yeah, something different. I think that, yeah, I, I have a few women who are listening along who are pregnant and, yeah, it's such an unsure time and I think the more stories we can hear from recent in the last few months, the better and, yeah, it'll be really helpful. So thank you so much for sharing with your, yeah, tiny little newborn snuggled onto oh, your chest. Pleasure. She is. <laughs> Absolute pleasure and thank you for creating a wonderful space for women to share their stories. I really love what you're doing. And keep it up. Mm. It's great. Yeah. Thank you, Indy. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You can find some beautiful photos from Gemma's home birth on my Instagram page at keepbirthwild.podcast. I've had my hands full with a toddler in lockdown, which is why I haven't been getting an episode out every single week. But if you click subscribe, you'll get notified every time a new episode is published. Thank you.